Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from two passages from Matthew chapter 22. We read the verses 23 to 33, and then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So first of all, we read from Matthew 22, verse 23 to 33. Hear the word of our God. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. We turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we read the verses 20 through 49. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him, that God may be all and in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? 
You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earth is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And, is the man, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So far the reading of God's word. And this afternoon we are going to pay attention in the preaching to God's revelation about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting as the church has summarized God's revelation and we together confess it in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22 on page 536 of our books of praise. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul, after this life, immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Congregation, after the sermon we will sing in response to God's word from Psalm, sorry, from hymn 76, stanzas 3 and 4, hymn 76, stanzas 3 and 4, after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, burying a body in the ground is not an easy thing to do. It's a sad thing, difficult thing. And it's true, when a loved one has died in the Lord, then you have that peace of knowing that they go to be with their Saviour. 
But it still doesn't make it easy to have to commit the body to the ground. A difficult time, sad times. And yet, death and burial, they are things that we face as those who believe in the triune God. And this afternoon, we're going to pay attention to our confession about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we're going to see the connection between our confession and the work of the Father, our confession and the work of the Son, and our confession and the work of the Holy Spirit. So our confession about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and then the three points, the connection to the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First of all, what we confess about the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, and the work of God the Father. And when we're talking about the work of God the Father, we can think especially of His work as the Almighty Creator. In Apostles' Creed, we just confess that, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty Creator. The one who created all things, including us, with our bodies. And to do justice to this Lord's Day, you almost have to point to yourself as you read it. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, my flesh, blood, bones, this my flesh. It draws attention to our bodies. These bodies that we sitting in, that we have, these bodies, and we speak about them as having an eternal future. Also, this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. It gets you thinking, who are we? What are we? We know from Genesis 1 and 2, we were created by God with a body and a soul. And it's not that we can even separate the two. I think of how we read about the creation of man in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, shaped him out of the dust of the ground, and then we read, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so there is a physical side to humanity. We were formed from the dust, made of earthly substance. But there's also a spiritual side to humanity, something about human life that distinguishes it from the animals. We are not just another animal, as science tells us today. Because God distinguished us from the animals. God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living being. We are not souls trapped in bodies, but we've been created by God with body and soul. And confessing God the Father and our creation means we confess that we are His creation, the creation of God in our fleshly, bodily existence. It's important that we work that out. God cares for us, not just for our souls. It's not as if our soul is the only important thing, but God cares for us as complete beings. He made us body and soul. 
And then think about what death does. Death separates the soul from the body. Both parts of who we are. But the soul goes to be with Christ. And the body goes into the ground. Our Father created us body and soul. And He's the one that took, had mercy on us, took pity on us, and He sent salvation to deliver us, soul and body, from the curse. That's why our Savior became man. Not just our souls, but our flesh has an eternal future because it was created by the Father who gave His Son to deliver also our flesh. You think of how the letter to the Hebrews puts it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's the believers, us, share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things, as Jesus Christ partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. He took on the flesh and blood of us humans. This, my flesh, has an eternal future. And consider too what the Lord Jesus Christ said about the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees came to him with that question and these Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They denied it. And so they came to the Lord Jesus with that long convoluted question about that man who had a wife and then he died so then his brother had to take her as wife and so on and all seven men died. So then who, and then the woman died so on, in the resurrection. Whose wife is she going to be? She was married to all seven of them. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. The Lord Jesus was quite pointed in his reply to them. And he, and he quotes, and that doesn't come out so much in Matthew, but it does come out in the parallel passage in Mark. Mark 12, verse 26. The Lord Jesus quotes something that was said to Moses at the burning bush. And as for the dead being raised, said the Lord Jesus to them, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And the Lord Jesus is using that to prove the resurrection of the dead. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong, he said to the Sadducees. We need to think that through a little bit. You've got to get some big picture dates in your head. Because Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had died about roughly 400 years before God appeared, appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And when God appeared to Moses, what does he say to Moses? He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, even though they'd been dead for hundreds of years already. That God who revealed himself to Abraham, who revealed himself to Moses, he reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
that God had made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, creatures of body and soul. You know, God appeared to Abraham and says, I will be your God. You will be, you and your descendants will be my people. God establishes a relationship with these men who is body and soul. And then declared long after Abraham had died, God says, I am the God of Abraham. He was still their God. And Jesus uses that to prove the resurrection of the body. There must be life for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob beyond death. And what's more, there must be more for them than a continued existence of the soul. God made his covenant with them as people, body and soul. He says, I will be your God. And of course, when they died, they went to be with God in heaven, their souls. But there must also be a continued existence in the flesh one day because God, who made his covenant with them, body and soul, continued to be their God. And so from those words of the Lord Jesus too, we can see our bodies are very significant. There's a future for them. And this sets us apart from so many who say that there is no God. And that death is the final end. You consider what difference it makes for that phrase, this my flesh, whether or not you believe that there is an eternal life in the body. You say this my flesh, this flesh that you're in today, that you experience life in, this life is only a tiny part of the life that you're going to live in your body. A life that's going to continue forever. But for others, who believe that death is the final end and there's oblivion, this, my flesh, this is all you've got, this short period of life. This is all there is. Therefore, live for the present. You're only in the body once. You might as well follow your desires as long as you don't hurt anyone. You see that thinking? Death, for the unbeliever, casts a shadow of meaninglessness over life and try to find some sense and joy and pleasure in while you're here. And people, they go looking for, for meaning and purpose in life on this earth. Particularly when they see that when you're dead, they think that's the end, that's all there is. When they go looking here and there for meaning and purpose. But the true faith has the answers. We have been created by God with bodies which He cares for into eternity. We will live life to fulfillment in our bodies forever. Yes, the life to come will be different in some ways from this life. But it's a bodily existence into eternity, in communion with God. And that's so comforting and encouraging. It's comforting when we are faced with weakness and sickness in this life. We experience suffering in our bodies, and sometimes horrible suffering. And that can be true for our minds as well, the struggles we go through. And those things, those, those bodily afflictions, difficulties that we experience in our bodies, they can slow us down and they can prevent many things. 
And you've got the frustration that goes with that, that can, that can tempt us to despair, to become bitter sometimes. And then to know that our bodies, which we wish were sometimes healthier, that, that God cares for them, and in them we will live in blessedness, eternal blessedness. See what light that shines on the sufferings we experience in our bodies in this life. There's other things we can gain from this as well, this teaching. Nowadays with social media we can become very negative about our bodies. Maybe we even say things like, I hate my body. You know, everybody else looks like they've got it together and I just hate, I hate my body. It's so gross. How can we say that when God cares so much for our bodies and has prepared an eternal future for them? It gives us comfort too when we are faced with death. This doctrine about the resurrection of the body. When we come closer to the gates of death, on the one hand, because of Christ's work, the sting of death is gone. Because we draw near to the gates of death, but we don't have to face an angry God who needs payment from us for our sins because the payment has been made. The Lord Jesus Christ has made that payment in our place. And so as we draw near to the gates of death, trusting God's promises, those gates of death become an entranceway into eternal life. The sting of death is gone. But on the other hand, death remains an enemy which hurts, it still hurts. Particularly for those who left, for those who are left behind. Death came through the fall. In the day you eat of the tree, you will die. And man and woman ate from the tree and death came. It's a reminder, a constant reminder of the fall into sin. And death leaves an empty place. A father, a mother we can no longer communicate with. A child, a sibling. A loved one, gone, an empty place, and that hurts. But confessing God the Father, the Creator, gives comfort at the grave of believers. Yes, the body, it's put into the ground. But it's not just the natural remains of the person who is not there. Sometimes we can think and talk as if the soul is the real person. But the body too is part of that and that will one day be raised. This my flesh, created by God as much as the soul that goes to be with Christ. And God cares for the body too. And one day it will be raised. It brings us to our second point in which we also consider our confession and the work of the Son. Notice how often the name of our Savior appears in the first answer of this Lord's Day. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. The comfort of the resurrection of the body is for us. 
only because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder He is so central in this answer. Without Him and His work, our death would seal the punishment of our body and soul in hell. That's what a serious thing death is. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, our future bodily existence, and everybody is going to have a future bodily existence, the unbelievers too, without Him, our future bodily existence would be everlasting punishment of body and soul. It's only through Him the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can look forward to eternal communion with God in the body. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Through Him, we have restored fellowship with God. After death, our soul then is immediately taken up to Christ our Lord. What an amazing thing, congregation. What comfort in the face of death as you draw near to those gates or as you with a dear one who is coming to the end of their life and to know that when they breathe their last, immediately their soul will be in the presence of their Saviour. What an amazing thing. That's the comfort that we get in the face of death because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered hellish agony and death on the cross for us. That's the comfort that we get. He went through the horrors, the terror, the punishment that we should have experienced once we died. He took it in our place so that as soon as we die, we can be with our Saviour. And He unites us to Himself. That's the comfort we have in the Lord's Supper that we celebrate time and time again. Our being united to Christ is as real as the bread that enters our body. It, it strengthens us in our faith to believe that our union with Christ is as real as the bread which we take into our body. And so that when we die, we will continue to be with Christ to, with whom we are united by faith. Think of those words that the Lord Jesus Christ said to the robber on the cross, that one that repented. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into paradise, when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You're going to die, but you'll continue to be with me. What a comfort that is. I think of what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. How, and he comes with that, that list of all those things that will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are all things that cannot separate us from God's love in Christ. And among those things that can't separate us is death. Even death can't take away our communion with our Savior. It will continue forever as soon as we die. Therefore, Cling to your Saviour in faith, beloved. And so live in lasting, constant communion with Him. A communion that even your death won't be able to stop.
Consider the change that would have come for that robber on the cross. There he was, hanging on the cross, and as he himself pointed out, justly being punished for his sins, just hours away from confronting his everlasting destiny and punishment because of his sins and rebellion. Repenting. Believing in Christ. And then through united, united with Christ by faith, receiving everlasting life as soon as he died. What a change. And the Lord Jesus Christ does more for us. Not just shall our soul be taken up to Christ our head as soon as we die, but also this our flesh will be raised by his power. And that points to what's going to happen on the last day. And that's why we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that beautiful passage that works out at length the comfort we have in the resurrection of the body that is promised to us in Christ. And there, the apostle shows how central Christ is. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See how important faith is. We shall be made alive in Christ. We're all included in Adam by being human. Included in Adam's guilt and in the punishment, the curse that comes on that. But we're included in Christ. By faith, by believing the promises, clinging to them. And we will be raised, will be made alive in Christ. The Father who created our bodies sent His Son to redeem us, body and soul. So that through faith in Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will also receive the resurrection of the body. He went into the grave ahead of us. He, having taken our sins on Himself, died and then was buried, put into the grave. But the grave, death couldn't hold Him. It was powerless. He broke forth. He rose from the dead by His mighty power. And we are united to Him by faith. So that when we die and our souls go to be with Him, then there's something missing. Our bodies don't belong in the grave because our head has left the grave in His body. And the members of His body, that's His church, will follow. He, our Savior, will give new life to our bodies. As the Apostle writes in Philippians chapter 3, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. He will give us the resurrection of the body. He will give new life to our bodies on the last day. And then Paul comes with those contrasts in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's encouraging to work through those for a moment as he compares the body that is sown with the body that is raised. He says there in verse 42, What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. A body that is sown is subject to illness, to breaks, 
to disease, to death. But the one that is raised is just out of reach of sickness. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Those bodies that will be strong. Eyes that will keep seeing. Ears that will keep hearing. Bodies bubbling with energy. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And spiritual body meaning completely governed by the Spirit and focused on the Father and the Son. An unimaginably beautiful body. That's what's coming, congregation. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ, by His power, is going to give to us. What comfort that is in the midst of the trials that we face in this life. The Apostle Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 8, and he knew what suffering was all about. He has a few lists in his letters. Stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked a number of times. Terrible whippings. These were just some of the things that the Apostle Paul went through. He knew what suffering was like. And he says, Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider, this is Paul talking, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us or revealed in us. The glory that is coming. The glory of the resurrection. The glory that is coming is more, will more than compensate for the suffering of this life. It can sometimes be very difficult and God gives His children different amounts of suffering. The suffering we need to go through can be very difficult. But Paul says the glory that is coming more than compensates for the suffering in this life. Doesn't that make you long for Christ's return? For Him to come back? For us to experience those glorious, restored, renewed bodies with bodies more glorious than Adam and Eve had in paradise? That's what you receive in your Savior. And that brings us to our final point. Our confession about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He's the one that unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we've said about the Lord Jesus Christ would be impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who lives in us and who lives in Christ who unites us to Christ. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle says, if the Spirit, Romans 8 verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, will give life to our bodies on the last day. And congregation, His work 
in us is not just a future thing. Notice that last phrase. We'll give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit that will give us new life on the last day to our bodies dwells in you today. He's already giving new spiritual life today. And that's why we confess since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy for the believer. The joy of eternal life begins already in the present through the Spirit who dwells in him. The Spirit dwells in us. Us who are body and soul. And that's important to think about as well. It's not just about our souls, but it's about us, body and soul. We, in our human existence, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament teaches us. The church is sometimes called the temple of the Holy Spirit, but also the individual believer is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. See how precious we are to the triune God in our bodily existence. And the application is ready at hand. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6. There Paul is warning about sexual immorality. And he says in chapter 6, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then how does he give a reason for that? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. How can we then use our bodies created by God in the beginning? He sent His Son to restore us and promise us an eternal future in our bodies. He gives us the Holy Spirit to renew us, to change us, to live in our bodies, temples of the Holy Spirit. How can we use our bodies in the service of of sin. And that's why we need to hate sexual immorality so much. And that's just one example. And we should broaden it out. There's many children here today, and I'm sure you know that motto of the John Calvin schools. To you I give my heart, Lord, Promptly and sincerely. And when you give your heart, it means your hands, your eyes, every part of your body, you're giving it, devoting it to the Lord. That's how we are to live. As those in whom the Spirit dwells. Living for the Lord. What we do with our hands. Things we type and text. The things we look at. The things we listen to. To you I offer all these things, Lord. That's the reality of life in the body. Life in a body with an eternal future. Life in the body in which the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. Brothers and sisters, 
do you live in your body showing how precious your body is? Do you bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your body, that kindness, that love, that gentleness, that faithfulness, that self-control? It's going to be bodily things that that comes out in, the way you talk, your mannerisms, your body language, where you go, what you do. Can it be seen? Your life in the body, the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you can see that the Spirit is in you, the one who will give life to your mortal bodies. You understand well. If it can't be seen from the way we live in our bodies that the Spirit is in us, then we have a false confidence. If we expect on the last day for our bodies to be raised and to be enjoying eternal life, our bodies will be raised, yes, but not like Christ's glorious body if the Spirit is not dwelling in us. But when the Spirit dwells in us, when it can be seen for how, from how we live in the body, and it's not going to be perfect yet, because we remain in these bodies of sin and stains and shortcomings and failings will continue to come forth. But when we can see in the midst of that that the Spirit is dwelling there, we have such comfort. Because the Spirit's work in us will not end when we die. The joy He works today, one of those fruit of the Spirit, it's only the beginning of the joy unimaginable He will grant to us when we live in communion with the triune God. Congregation, His presence in us today is a pledge of our eternal inheritance, body and soul, the new earth forevermore. To our triune God, the Father, our Creator, the Son, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Sanctifier and Renewer, be all the praise. Amen.